and action. You should have asked for like scotch or Oh, you don't drink, right? Sorry. I do. Oh, dude. Okay, cool. Oh, we have whiskey. It's five o'clock somewhere. Ooh, you even have your man. See, this is the uh, sorry. We're recording. Yeah, we're good. Go ahead. This is the epitome of success right here. They have their own fucking cups. Yeah. Pretty sweet, right? It's great. Yeah. Can I keep this? You can. This is the only reason I came here is for the cup, for the Bruce Swine cup. Yep. That's what we call our pig, Bruce Swine. You have a pig? Oh, oh. The Money Sports Happy Pig? Oh, right. Bruce Swine. You know, you know, my sister actually has a pet pig. Does she call it Bruce Swine? No, she calls it Cannonball because it's big and black. Kind of like a couple good. other things. <laughs> Daddy! Got him. Danny Ligari! This is great. It's good shit. So, so everybody knows who are you and what do you do? I am Christian Alexander Rosakis. I'm an actor and I guess entrepreneur of sorts. Um, but mostly an actor. Are you an entrepreneur now? I mean, goddamn. I mean, how do we have how many hours do we have? As many as we want. Yeah, I've done a lot. Yeah. I've done a lot, man. Um, and still am continuing to do a lot. Uh, so yeah, I guess I could call myself an entrepreneur. I wouldn't say I'm like a successful entrepreneur, but I've fucking done a lot. <laughs> I've failed a shit ton, which is great. And I aspire to continue to do so. And hopefully when things take off. Well, I think that's a thing, right? Like there's this, there's a new conversation happening about Gary V talks about it a lot, but it's a new conversation talking about failure. And how you failure is important and you learn from your failures. And I used to joke that I fail more times in a day than most people fail in their whole life because I've done so many things. Just waking up in the morning. Just, yeah, just ready to be defeated. Putting a sock on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not my foot. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be fun. I do. You're going to be fun. Um, you're married now, too. Oh, look at that shit. We got married, like, close to the same day. Yeah, that's right. Was it the same day? What's your... I don't know. I've had so many weddings from this one marriage. Did you? So, really? Yeah, I had, I had... I mean, I get, I got married three times. So we got married in, uh, in you know, town hall. Actually, we did it right in my... It was so beautiful, actually. We did it in my living room. We had someone who was an officiant come in. Uh, Mary is on paper. We had both our families kind of have a dinner. We did in our apartment that we bought during COVID. And then I got married again in Mexico on July 16th. Yeah. And then I got married again in New York, August 26th. Okay. So. But the official one was in your living room. I'm so happy it's all over. Your research? Marriage? No. No. <laughs> the wedding stuff. Like, oh my God. I mean, I mean, you know. Weddings are insane. Like me and Elena, my beautiful, amazing wife, and I love you. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm putting this on tape. <laughs> but fuck it, I'm here to be honest, right? Yeah. So we, uh, we were at each other's throats. Like we almost didn't make it. Like we were having so much difficulty working with each other and our different perspectives, perspectives on what we wanted to do, that we almost didn't freaking make it. It was insane. And then as soon as we finished the second their whatever wedding ah it's the best yeah everything just all the way just off our shoulders we're having a great time we are friends which is important friends is so important we're closer now than we ever have been it's it's fantastic friends is so important it's cool the evolution of getting married is like you do, it's not what you expect i'm never getting married again it was nuts well, you did it three times. Why did you do it three times? Why well just do one wedding? Because in Mexico, you it's like some I don't know. I don't know. Lena knows everything, and I'm just kind of following. But just something where you like have to, uh, some kind of priestly thing where you like you have to like give a blood sample or some crap in Mexico to get married. And we didn't want to do that, so we got married officially in New York. Then we got married in Mexico because that's where we. Both went on our we went on our first trip together ever when we met um, to Mexico. That's where we wanted to get married. Okay. Um, 
And then she has a 98-year-old grandma, you know, that can't come to Mexico. We have plenty of family that wanted to see us get married and wouldn't come to Mexico, so we had to do another thing in New York. It's pretty good. Did you do it on Long Island? Brooklyn. Okay. Brooklyn. You're from Long Island, though, right? I'm from Long Island. Yeah. So, how long have you been with your wife? Nine years. Really? <laughs> Has it been that long? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. And you've been with your your wife for three or four? Uh, no, more than that now. I think we're going on, we've been together for like six years. We've been married for several months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't been because yeah, we got married in July. Right. When you got married in Mexico, we got married for real. Okay. <clears throat> and we just did it in our backyard. For real? <laughs> no. You When you did your, but you, the paperwork I, for I'm real. kidding. Just settle down. <laughs> We're not interrupting your busy schedule. Um, <laughs> you heard my text this morning. What am I going to do? Drive three hours in a freaking rain, thunder, goddamn snowstorm? Yeah. Or like twiddle Was it snowing on the way up? Oh my God. You know what it took me to get here? Because there's nothing here. I could have fucking died getting here. Like there's nothing here. Oh, it was nuts. It was yeah. nuts. All the cars were moving like 40 miles an hour. My, I'm in a new, my, my car, the accelerator, whatever, broke down over the over the weekend i'm i my car is great um so i'm using my wife's my my father-in-law's car i don't know how anything works it won't work with my gps took me to a wrong turn i freaking like went from it taking just like two hours to get here to like two hours and 40 minutes i'm driving through the freaking <laughs> it was mayhem getting here but but you're oh, so worth it dad we've done so much together you know me my entire career. Do I really? Yeah. Was that your first movie? No. No. But, I mean, not far off. That was the best work I've ever done in a movie. I'd buy that. It was good. Yeah. Too bad. Never mind. <laughs> you say whatever you want. <laughs> Too bad. Sucked. Yeah. But, well, that's I mean, the... I had a... That was like... I think that's the thing people don't understand about movies and independent movies is that... There is a lot of really great, talented work out there that never gets seen because people don't have a follow-through. They don't know how to complete a project. They're terrible editors or they're ter terrible producers. Um, I mean, just look at that movie. I basically saved it, right? Oh. Like, there was no way that movie was getting done without me stepping in. I mean, I'm kind of sorry, but there's no saying that movie. I meant the production of it. Yeah. They would have never got shot if it hadn't been... And I've done that for a few movies, and I don't get credit for it most of the time, which I'm fine with. Like, it doesn't matter. It just, for me, I love that work. I love when people call me and be like, I'm fucked. And I go, I got you. I'll fix it. Where are you at? What do you got? Let me see. Because on that movie, I fired everybody. And it, the, even the cinematographer was like, I have first refusal. And you he was like- You wanted to fire me in that movie. I don't even remember, like, I, don't, I still don't really know the exact details of what happened. When I came on set, you were like- Fuck some so what happened? I think it was they were talking about how you they said that you introduced the entire crew to the director. They were like, Oh, this is the actor that that brought us this person in the crew and this person in the crew, and he's gonna be pretty upset that you got rid of them. And I was like, Fuck it, I don't care. Like I don't I don't know this kid. Like I don't care. Like, this is what kid. it takes. How the hell did I know crew? I didn't know I'd right. bring anybody. <laughs> so I was like, well, I mean, we're both basically kids. And I was, yeah, oh shit. I was, I was like, what, not even 30 yet? I think I was like 30 years old when we made that movie. Wow. 30, 31? I was like 24. You were 24? I don't even know. When did you start acting? When I was 12. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I I went to LaGuardia High School Performing Arts. Okay. That's a, um, you know, the movie Faye. How I wanna live forever. I'm just sad on that one. It's really I'm trying to control myself. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You're good. Um, but yeah, I mean like uh yeah, I started when I twelve years old, I got in that high school and it's it was in a it's a really hard high school to get into. And it was like going to college for acting. And as soon as I got out of LaGuardia High School, I got signed with Abrams Artist Agency, which was a huge agency at the time. Yeah, it was. I you know, and I book law and order like at 16 and then it was all downhill from there <laughs> i don't know that it was all downhill you still work yeah yeah you work regularly right i work pretty regularly 
you know, it's all about perception. And I guess this is what this show is all about. And really, like, I do not consider myself a successful actor. Really? And I might not consider myself a successful actor even if I was an A-list actor, though. Because, like, I mean, the point of... That's just my personality is to, like, always be reaching for something and always be striving for more than the place I'm at, never being happy where you're at. And that's, you know, maybe it's a fault. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Whatever. Well, I think that's part of the bigger conversation is understanding what success actually is. And then there's that piece of people like you and me that are always striving for more, right? We're always like, oh, we can do better. We can do bigger. We can do more. We can do better. And there's that idea of we feel like if we call ourselves successful, then that means we have to stop. That means we've arrived. And there is something to be said about the journey can, parts of the journey can be success stories. Parts of, if you're an actor and you're being paid to act, that means you're a successful actor, in my opinion. And you're doing that on a regular basis. I mean, you're in the, you're in the fucking opera, bro. On Broadway. The opera is Lincoln Center. Okay, whatever. Same shit. Tit for tat. Right? But it's the New York City Opera, isn't it? No, it's the Metropolitan Opera. Right. Even better. You're even better. Like, you're in the Metropolitan Opera, and you've been in it for years. I've been, I don't even want to say how long I've been doing that. How long have you been doing the Metropolitan Opera? 17 years, 17 seasons. Yeah, sure, you're not a success at all. Well, yeah, so, so, but that's what I'm saying. So, so, in my perception... Of if we're just talking about the Metropolitan Opera, I, I, honestly, I mean, comparatively to the percentage of actors that are out there, yeah, I'm freaking killing it. I'm I'm doing great. But uh, right, ooh, there's a whole party going on out there. That's not normal. Where's the party at? Um, but like you know, so yeah, I'm I'm absolutely successful. I make money in the arts, acting. Right, I don't make great money, and when I do TV gigs, you know, that's fantastic. But they come as much as the universe is able to give to me. Right. Um, which is a lot of, you know, it's really out of an actor's control in a lot of ways. So what would make you feel successful? Man, I want to make six figures, goddammit, which is not like a normal, like an abnormal income in 2023. So you want to make six figures as an actor and then you'll feel successful? Maybe. I, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. But when I, and when I get there, I will probably be like, this is not enough. And that's, you know, that's my my fucking fault, damn it. Hey. What is going on out there? Um, Hey, we're filming in there. It's aggressive. (laughs) Should I get out there and scare him? No. Um, I love that we don't edit this, though. I want to. I want to. I want So, you tie your your success to money absolutely this is a terrible and it's not it's not for most people you'll say this is an awful philosophy but fuck that i i i I connect it with money absolutely if you're doing i can that goes for anything if you have a profession if you do something that you're passionate about and you say, I am this, I am a garbage truck man, I am a whatever painter, right. I am an artist. And you are not making income, livable income, doing whatever that is, then you fucking suck. Then you either are not good at what you're doing or I don't know, have, there's plenty of happenstance reasons to contradict me, absolutely. And I'm a human being, we're all human beings, so I'm going to probably go back on a lot of the things that I'm saying throughout this Recording, I apologize, whatever, fuck you. So, but that's the truth. If you're not making money doing what you do, then you are not successful, not at all. I mean, you know, it, it is directly tied to money. Um, Yes, you should do things for passion and you should do things because you want to do them. You feel to do them. Absolutely. Maybe you're not making money yet. Well, fine, fine. But the bottom line is your income means that you are doing what you're doing. It is directly connected to your profession. Unless you come from money, you don't need to make money, whatever. But now that's, well, that's the thing that this, that's why I created this podcast was because I got sick of rich people telling poor people that money didn't matter. Money wasn't going to buy you happiness. You're full of shit. Money supports happiness 100%. You don't want people to say that. It's, and I think that a piece of your success definitely has to be tied to money. 
then it becomes, okay, now we have to define livable, right? If you're, you said we, if you make a livable amount of money to define your success, right? So, okay. So that's where the semantics come into play and that's where it's subjective and that's where you decide what lifestyle you want to live in order to do the thing that you love and make a living at it. You can easily live off of the $40,000 a year being a traveling actor or thespian or whatever it is and live a very nice life doing what you're passionate about and loving your life, right? Totally. So that's where the subjectiveness of it all comes into play. That's where it's, for Christian, you feel like, okay, if I can hit six figures, maybe, then it'll be, okay, well, I need mid six figures, or I need, oh, I need seven. I hit six figures, okay, now we begin. Right. (laughs) Right, but you have had a great deal of success as an actor throughout the last 20 plus years. Been a journey. Right. But you've, you've had multiple TV spots. You've had multiple series on TV spots. Have you ever done national commercials or commercials? Yeah, I was in a Home Depot commercial. I was actually probably my highest paying job is that one Home Depot commercial. When he brought me in like, in the total span of its run for like six years, it brought me in like, I don't know, like 40K. Okay. Over six years isn't really that much, but you know. I mean, it's a lot of money for being on set one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Commercials, man. Well, that's the thing. That's the other thing, too, is like people are like, oh, well, why do actors make so much money on a commercial? And it's the same reason why what we do here with Bird and Media, we charge a specific amount of money for commercials and other things because that business is going to use it long term to make money. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to goddamn see them again. Right. So, so, yeah. But you're going to, they're going to use that commercial to create revenue for themselves long term. So the more that they use that, it's not a, I did the job and it's over when it comes to a commercial. It's a, I did the job and now here's the work and I get residual pay as long as you're using it. Yeah. Right. I I mean, I was a commercial agent for three years. Okay. Man, I mean, if we want to go over the roster of things that I have have done, I have, I have thrown myself in every aspect of this business because acting income is not enough. My, I was fortunate that my best friend, and I'm the godfather of his son, um, Yushin Kim, owner of UGA Talent, opened a door for me while I was bartending and wanting more than than just acting every so often and doing the shows of the mat and surviving. Yeah, he opened a door to me to be to to apprentice and be be an agent. So I was an agent for three years in the commercial department. I ran the print department for UGA Talent. Commercials are bread and butter. They pay a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, to any other artists who are listening, like, get your commercial game back on, man. I mean, it's not all about the drama and the, and the, and the, and winning the Oscar. It's about making a business, making income. Well, the, I mean, we're, there's, I mean, we're, we're a guy who's kicking in, but for me, the Oscars are a joke at a certain point. Like, it's, it's a rap, it's a rig system. I'm happy for whoever wins. I think that's great. But at the end of the day, there's an in crowd and there's a never going to make it crowd. And the vast majority don't even get looked at. There are some beautiful films out there that never get the time of day or even get seen to win an award, let alone win an Oscar. Even better, there are awful shit movies that are out that make it, man. And that there's like a whole business of cringe movies. I mean, yep. it is like, I mean, there's two sides of that coin. Yep. I, uh... <laughs> we collectively know several people that make the worst movies you'll ever see. Bid in them. Yeah. And I'm not claiming that my movies are the greatest movies ever made. My movies are practically garbage. However, if you look at what we did on the budget in which we did them, that's where the difference lies. When you look at one of my movies and you find out that I made it for $17,000, but you're comparing it to a movie that had a $400,000 budget, and that's the bracket that I'm being compared with, I'll take it. Shit on me all day long. If you're comparing me to a movie that had a half a million dollar budget and telling me my movie is garbage compared to that movie, cool, I'm in. But you take another movie that had a $17,000 budget and compare it to my movie, 
cool. Let's do that instead. Let's see what that looks like. I'm going to tell you my mantra that I've been living with the past few weeks. Okay. There's some stupid quote that I saw on Facebook from some dumb guru, but comparison is the thief of joy, man. Yep. Can't compare. There's an audience for everything. There's a couple of projects that I'm going to be working on in the near future that are dog shit. But hey, it's a creative project. It is my business. It doesn't, how do I improve that? What can I do to make it better? And that's kind of where I'm at. It's not about, I mean, there's plenty of dog shit out there. One of my favorite things to do is to find one of my favorite actors, Anthony Hopkins or Brad Pitt or whatever, any actor, any A-list actor, and actually go to their IMDb and scroll down and look at all the movies you've never heard of and check one or two of those out. They are awful. And they're awful in them. You never hear about them. And there's like a whole fear of like, you know, people turn down projects, which I absolutely respect. I think the more that you turn down based off of what you don't want to do and what you don't want to put yourself in open doors towards the things that you do do. Absolutely. It's a great philosophy. Totally do it. But, um, you know, saying no to everything isn't always the answer. I mean, there, there is also doing your job and not knowing the outcome. Like, like the, the movie that we did, that the very first movie, which aphids are inappropriate effect. I don't know what, what I don't know what I have no vantage. Is it even available? Ah, who cares? Whatever. But, you know, I went in there and I did the best that I could and I yeah. thought it was a fantastic job. It turned out to be shit. But you know what? That's fine because those A-list actors that are making the six figures, seven figures that I want, they have done that. They still do do that sometimes. There are tons of movies you will never hear about that those actors have done or will do. Um, so it's just a part of this whole mishmash of, I think that people are obsessed with perfection because perfection is really, it's it's almost like a mirror effect of social media. Yep. Like, Everyone sees what's great. They don't really see or pay attention to the things that aren't perfect or, or weren't good movies or weren't good products. And well, there's also the marketing behind a movie that creates this fantasy that this is the only, this is what's good because so-and-so's in it or this is what's good because so-and-so made it. I'll try. Like knock on the, knock on the cabin or whatever it was. Knock on the, knock at the cabin, knock on the door. It just came out and Batista was in it and, there were some other recognizable actors. It was made by M. Night Shyamalan. I watched it. There was no twist. That's what everybody goes to Shyamalan stuff for is the twist. But that guy gets permission to make stuff because of what he did with Unbreakable and Sixth Sense, which are fantastic films. Like, are, like arguably two of the greatest films put together. And even Split, another amazing movie. So he's hit or miss, right? He has some that are great and he has some that aren't great. But you look at his budgets compared to like an indie filmmaker like you and me starting out, Look at Grandpa Psycho, right? We did Grandpa Psycho together after we did that other fucking movie. You came up because you were a working actor, and I got you for a couple days, and I wanted you in a specific role for it. My biggest supporter here. And it was it was a fun fucking movie to do. And honestly, when I watch it still, it holds up. And it was made for under 20 grand. Like, we didn't spend more than 20 grand on that movie, right? And we shot it over the course of, like, I think it was 12 days total that we shot and I think it was you introduced me to the lead actress Jessica Jessica Moore I did not introduce you to her she was on EFITS no she wasn't yeah she was she She played a nerd yeah she was oh Jessica Moore no no yeah that's right that's right that's right sorry I mixed that up yeah no I reached out to you and said hey I need a leading lady that can handle what I want to do and you sent her my way and she's great but, and then we used Gunther, who was also in AFER, but he was in my, I taught him how to act. He was in an acting class that I ran here in order to teach people locally how to act so I could have people to do movies. That's an amazing real person character. Oh my God. He's great. Like picked off the street. Yep. Face all messed up in a beautiful way, Gunther. Fantastic character face. Just like. Yeah. Ah, uh, he's great. Yeah. He's a great dude. Very talented actor. But he was a maniac when I first met him. Um, yeah, and we honed, we reined him in, and we taught him what he needed to teach. And he played a lead, and we made a short film version of that movie first called Visiting Grandpa. And then that turned into the idea of doing a feature film version of it. But the idea of 
me, people, t- somebody said on the podcast just the other day, they were like, oh, yeah, you were trying to make movies and you were trying to just like, I wasn't trying. I was actually doing. What the fuck else are we supposed to be I was, We want to make movies. We're going to try. But no, I actually. Jeez. But in my opinion, I was actually doing it because the Grape yeah. of Psycho is still available and it sold worldwide and we made money off of it. It became a, a, a not a commercial success, but I was able to pay my investors back their money. That to me is a success. That's right. Right. Honestly, like, it's way, way better right? than a lot of other. Absolutely. And and the problem is, is that there's a distribution channel for independent films that is rigged. You can't even see any money from the distribution companies until you're about forty or $50,000 into making money. Because it's rigged that they get all of their money first. And there's nothing you can do because you're nobody. So you you can't go sell your movie directly to places because they won't see you and they won't take it. So you have to have a sales agent to sell your movie. But those sales agents tell you that there's all these fees that go into selling your movie. And they add up to between thirty and $50,000, and they want them all before you see a dime. So I even had, when they sold that movie, Grandpa Psycho, to Redbox, they literally called me and said, we want to do this deal, but we're only going to do it if you change the parameters of what we make. What does that even mean? They wanted more money because they were making so much money off the Redbox deal that they wanted more of the money. And I was like, how is that fair? I was like, we signed a, I was like, we signed a contract. We signed an agreement. And he was like, yeah, but we didn't realize we were going to be able to sell this for this much. And, you know, the amount of work and effort we're going to put into getting, I was like, what do you mean? It's been a month and you're already telling me that you're going to make this much money off of it. And now you're telling me you're going to kill the whole deal if I don't agree to give you more money? And I was like, like, that's crazy to me. And there's nothing I can do. My hands are tied at that point. The last movie that I made, also Jessica Moore, was in Finder's Keeper, which is where I met my wife, really, was I made that movie and I gave it to a distribution company and they lied about everything. They said they were going to release it into a small theater release. They had all the theaters lined up, and this is the day it was going to come out, and this is what was going to happen. And they ended up just releasing it on Amazon Prime and not doing any of the other stuff leading up to it. And I don't even know if they made any money off of it or what they did. And then I had to switch distribution companies, and now I'm with another distribution company that sent me the paperwork, and they've they've made almost $30,000 off of that movie. Actually, they made almost more than that. They made almost thirty or, or, or I think it was right around thirty thousand dollars they've made off of that movie, and I haven't seen a dime because of all their fees and all their stuff. And I have all these investors that I owe money to off of that movie once we hit the profit margin, and I want to pay them back because. But I'm also honest when I go to investors and I say, "Hey, look, this is a risk. This is a crapshoot. This is this is not something that we're doing to make millions of dollars. We're hoping to make our money back, and if all goes well, we're going to see profit from it." Right. But you get into these situations with these distribution companies where I can't audit their books. I don't know where it's being sold. And then what am I going to do? Hire a lawyer and pay them tens of thousands of dollars to go after these people now. Right. Like it's you're chasing good money after bad. Multiply this by thousands of other independent movie. writers. Exactly. Daily. Just getting their asses rammed. Right. So. And that's the thing is like there's no union for independent filmmakers to protect them. No. There's no group of people to protect independent filmmakers from doing this stuff. But everybody has this pipe dream of, you know, what's that, Blair Witch? Blair Witch was made for X amount of dollars. Like, they say it was like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000, which I believe based on the production value of it. But then they put a million or plus dollars into the marketing of that movie yeah. and told everybody it was a true story and a documentary, which is why it blew up in the theaters. Yeah, we're, you know, it's interesting because we're also like, since the pandemic, we, even before the pandemic, we're, we're venturing into such a different entertainment business world. There are so many platforms, so many streaming platforms. There's so much, there's so much more of a saturation of work. There's so much more options and opportunities happening because people need projects. Yeah, but there's opportunities, but there's still an in crowd. Like you can look oh. at it and say, "Oh, look, this studio system's dead." You, back in the '50s and '60s, '70s, even early '80s, you literally could show up at a studio and screen test. 
that's not a thing anymore. Like, you can't just walk up to the studio and be like, hey, I'm here for the Thursday screen test and be picked out of a lineup to be an actor. You're screen testing at home on your self-tape audition sure. screen test. Yes, but there's something to be said about walking into the studio and having them pick 20 people and giving them a contract to be like, all right, you're now in the movie business, kid. This is You're going to show up every day, and we're going to shoot Bonanza, and we're going to shoot Rough Rider, and, we're, and you're going to be a cowboy in every one of them. And then eventually, you, we're going to need somebody to step up and be a lead role or a character role. And if everybody gets along with you, then you're just you're in the in crowd. Then that's the show is bad. Which why was? But now and now everybody wants you to believe that if you just do it on social media or YouTube, you can just become famous on YouTube. Man, when I was when I was an agent, doing commercial stuff, like half of the half of the the breakdowns that came in were like they're all asking for your Instagram, yep, your TikTok. Your, to see how many followers do you get to just have that as a like a it's almost like a you need that in order to like be considered for for a project right. it's just it's crazy well it's a baseline and they're but again it's it's a business right so people are trying to make money and they're trying to figure it out but when you have people that are artists that focus on the art and not the business that's when it becomes a trap and that's when it becomes this thing where you have this group of people that are investors in the art because they think it's cool to be in a movie or be part of a movie, even if it's just financially, and have their name on it. And they think they're going to make millions of dollars because they invested in their, they're hoping that it's going to be a Blair Witch Project or an indie film that takes off. And what they don't realize is that there's a chance. Right. It's that kind of thing, right? Exactly. Okay. But it's... I don't discourage people from making their own work and doing their own work. Just know what you're getting into. Like, have another, and be honest with the people that are working with you and say, hey, look, I think that this is going to be a thing. I'm really excited about it. And here's the channels I'm going to go down to try and make money off of this thing. Is it something that you want to do based on can you afford it? And I never approach anybody that can't afford it, right? And affording it's a relative term, but if you drive a, a $150,000 car, and you have a 4,000 square foot home and you have property and you have your own business and you're throwing money around, you're a person I might approach to be like, hey, you want to invest in a movie? And I'm not asking you for a hundred grand. Like I said, I've made all of my movies for under $50,000. My movies with my name on them as a producer director. All of them have made been made well under 50 grand. The most I ever spent on a movie was like, I think it was like $46,000. What is the biggest budget that you've ever been approached with from an investor when you've wanted to make a movie that that like i usually I, i've never been approached by an investor ever i'd go to them i've been like what what that's what I mean. but the biggest project i've ever been in yeah right. what's the what's the most amount of of that i've produced for a movie yeah uh i think it was like 1.2 it's great 1.2 million but it wasn't me i didn't direct it i was okay. just producing but that's helping. that's what you got right that's an achievement but my very first movie that I made in L.A., I I literally got somebody to invest $125,000 into a script while bartending. I was literally bartending, and I was taught, shooting the uh, shit with somebody. And I was like, yeah, I got this idea. I got this movie. This guy can just... Man, I was getting a talker. <laughs> I mean, got the silver tongue, you know what I mean? Hey, buddy, I got an idea for you. Yeah. Gonna be tits and ass. It wasn't that, actually. Guns and explosions, but really. <laughs> but after I made that movie, I got fucked on it because the investor and this woman, Suzanne De Laurentiis, who was related to Dino De Laurentiis, who was, do you know who Dino is? Yeah. Yep. It was his niece. So she was connected to the film industry. She did a bunch of horror movies. She, I won an award at her film festival and we connected and she was like, oh, I'll produce this. You write this. You can use my house for free. I have this house that you can shoot in. I have all this stuff. We'll do this. We just need investors. And she was supposed to match the investment. So I found somebody to put $125,000 in. And then she was supposed to match it and give us her location for free. She decided she didn't need to match it and that she would ask him for more money. Then she also started skimming money off the budget. Then she also charged us for the house out of the budget. Then when I needed equipment and stuff to do certain things, certain shots in the movie, I needed dolly stuff and dolly track and not expensive stuff. Like dolly track is like, I don't know, back then it was like 10 bucks for the day to rent the track. 
and a track is like eight feet long, so you could get two of them and have 16 feet of track. And she would be like, no, you can't get that. So I'd spent money out of my own pocket to get it, and then she got mad that I spent my money to get what I wanted for my movie. And then the tits and ass thing that you were joking about, I told the leading actress, like, we don't need it. Don't worry about it. We have one girl that's willing to do a nude scene that is designed to be a creepy, weird scene with the killer. So we'll do that. But And she's into it. It's fine. But we don't need it throughout the whole movie. Like, we don't even need it in that scene, but it makes the scene creepier if we know she's naked. So it's fine. And that's why she agreed to it, because she also agreed that it was just creepier if she was getting changed. So glad we're sort of getting out of that. So they fucking, they corner the leading actress when I'm on set shooting something else. And they corner her in a room and like start demanding that she be in this scene. And if she doesn't be in this scene, then it's going to ruin the whole movie. And so I had to like literally go in, take her out of the room and be like, what are you guys fucking doing? Like, this is not happening. Like, this is not appropriate. Like, this is not what we agreed on. So then they, they got lawyers involved and they stole the movie from me and they, they like, I finished all my contractual obligations with the movie. I edited the movie completely and then they just, they sent lawyers after me and I had no choice but to give it up because I was, I was 26, 27 years old and I had no, I had no means or no connections to protect myself from just literally being robbed of the entire thing. It's a dirty business. Yeah. It is. And that movie was released on Blu-ray, and I'm sure they made money off of it, whatever, whatever. Again, not a great movie. I don't claim that the movies that I have made for these budgets, especially my first movie, is my first feature, so it definitely had lots of flaws. But it was a fun movie. Nick Chinlin was in it. I don't know if you know who Nick Chinlin is, but you would know him if you saw him, I bet. Um, I'm terrible with names. But he was in uh, Con Air with Nicolas Cage. Cute. Yeah, cute. (laughs) Cute. It's a, you know, man, it's a, it's a dirty business. Okay. Honestly, like it's kind of, it's like, like the fight business, you know, like, like boxing, you know, it's just like, there are things behind the scenes that you will never see that make it hard for people who are worthy to succeed and for people without money who have a genius in them to not succeed because they don't have the money. Well, how many, like, is then there's how many, how many quote unquote name talent do I reach out to and say, Hey, we're making this movie. We could make this movie better if you're involved. And it's like immediately, it's either an immediate ignore, which is the most common. Yeah. I'm ignoring you. I'm not even going to respond. There's the, I don't know. I don't, you're not known. You're not well, like, I don't know what this is going to be. I can't risk it. I think this is my career. And it's like, okay, cool. Get that too. And like, I'm not, I don't think anybody's obligated to do anything. I think it's, you know, if people are approaching you and they're, they're talking to you, I think that there's something to be said about at least responding at least engaging with a conversation. But again, you don't owe me anything. I don't know you, but there's, but yeah, if, even if I'm, but there are people that I know that are names that I've reached out to and they're like, yeah, Danny, I can't do that. My, my agency won't let me or my, this won't let me or. What I think would, would mess with people had, would mess with people's eyes even more is the fact that how many people, how many of those actors do respond actually. Yeah. Like, like most people think like, oh, like little independent, film company, they're not going to be able to get this person, that person. But they do. They mm-hmm. actually do. You'll never hear of these movies. Again, look up people's IMDb's and find out the crap that some of the, some of A-list actors do. Not that it's all crap. I'm, I'm, being a, I'm being an asshole. I like... I'm sorry. It's relative. But it's all, it's all relative. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just throwing words out freely, so forgive me. But, um, you know, I mean, like, A-list actors do those movies. I'm sure. I just did a movie with... Um, not just, but a movie just came out 10 years after we filmed it with Sid Haig. Sid Haig, you know Sid Haig? Yeah, it was on that movie too. I was the one that brought you to that movie, remember? And well, then I was... See, this guy has been a part of every single one of my... He's remember, I was the one that brought you that movie. Oh my God. I. That's another movie. How the hell did that come out Bro, 10 years that's later? That's another movie that they called me in and said, I'm fucked. I oh don't my, know what to do. Oh my God. So I went down to North Carolina... <laughs> I did a shit ton of work on making sure that that movie would get produced, brought them multiple actors, including their lead actor, including you, including Julia Lehman, including, like, almost half of the cast were my people. The lead actor was your guy? Yeah. Oh, man. And then, literally, again, Will Daniels. Will Daniels. And then, literally, 
after the first day of production, I was like, look, you guys have to move faster. You're never going to get this done in time. And it's going to take you probably five to 10 years to get this thing released if you keep doing it this way. They kicked me off set. They literally were like, we don't need you here anymore. We've got this under control. They, they, took my, they took my credit for the producer. They took my name off of it. Did they really? Yep. I think I'm listed as like an associate producer or something when I produced the whole thing. No, it's fine. And it's, a, it's an amazing movie. It's really well made. He's super talented. I don't know. I haven't seen the whole thing. Is it not good? Who are you talking about? Who's super talented? The director. Is he not? Yeah. No, no. It's great. It's great. I I don't think he's great with actors, uh, from what I remember, but he was... I, I didn't really need any help with what I was doing, so I you typically don't. It's <laughs> Sometimes. Well, you've been doing it for so long that you know how to take a direction, and you know, and you choose a direction. I to played go. dead really well. Did you... You didn't see it? I haven't seen the whole You got to watch it just I to will. watch me be dead. Okay. I just sit there. There's this one scene where I'm stuck in a closet. I'm like, they folded me up in a closet, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like this. But my eyes are open. Yeah. And there's no cutting. It's just me. It's amazing. And it's 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 Oscar worthy work, man. I'm telling you. Oscar worthy. No, but I haven't seen the whole movie, but I know that he's a talented. You should watch. I know that he's he's good at what he did. He's, there's a reason why I choose to help people do what they do. But the fact that like that's funny that you bring it up, but I I literally brought you on that movie. I totally forgot that you were a part of that movie. Oh my God! I mean, it's 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 uh, you know, in the grand spectrum of independent films, I mean, we're talking about like really, 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 really bad towards pretty decent. Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not awful. Um, I think it makes sense, which is like a huge bonus because a lot of independent films, as you know, you know, they don't make sense, which is, you know, that sucks. Um, but it was. It was great that it came out. I'm just happy. I'm just yeah, happy that it's great. It came out, and and to, for a movie to just come out is actually like it's a huge thing. It really is. There are a lot of movies. I didn't that think I would ever come out. There's so many projects that I've been a part that will never be seen. Correct, and deservedly so. And I don't think you still don't get see. But like, but you know, there's there's tons of stuff that to just make it into a theater, one theater, just but, just one streaming platform. And for me, that's. For me, that's life in general, right? For yeah. me, life in general is collaboration. If I looked at life as a competition, I would have never helped these filmmakers make their movies. I would have never helped these filmmakers save their movies when they were failing. But I'm the guy that people used to call to fix everything when it was going fucking haywire. They were like, just call Danny. Like, I still get those calls today. I've just produced Honestly, I just spoke about you the other day. I just got asked to, to co-produce a movie. Um, I read the script and I told them no, but but if that was you know applicable, we were going to get funding from Italy and, and Jersey for their tax cuts, and we we're going to have a two million dollar budget. And it was yeah. like I have the perfect producer for this, so let's just let me read the script and then. But I mean, the script we're going to have to do something else. But um, yeah, I mean, you're great. You're great at what you do. I mean, you can't see it when you're watching movies. You can't see it, but like, goddamn, the fact that it got so far is usually because of somebody who's wearing the black cape. Well, it's, I just did a movie two summers ago. Tyler was on it. We got a call from a mutual person. I won't mention his name, but I'll tell you later. That's fine. Because I don't even want to put his name out there. But I just, I just did a movie um, two summers ago where they came to me and said, we have $23,000 to make a movie. And I was like, that sounds fun. And he was like, I know you're the only guy that can do it. Mm-hmm. Turned out they only had $17,000 uh-huh. to make the movie. I was still the only guy that could do it. How do you even get any money doing this stuff? That's I don't. I do shit because I love to do it. You bastard. I make my money other ways so I can do the you things that re- I love. You need to rewatch these recordings so you can learn how not do that anymore. Why? I don't mind you get it. money in your business. God. I make money in my business. I'm doing, you've seen my, my no, office. I, I, know. I do just, very well. I'm kidding. But movies have, are a passion of mine. I will always make movies when I can. And if, I, and if it's in the cart and I got to work with George Lyon, well, I reached out to George and said, hey, George, we got another movie. He's great. It's garbage. This is, you know, <laughs> it's garbage in the sense that, like, we, we only have, ex- it's going to be what it's going to be. So I made this, they sent me the script, and I hated the script. So I rewrote the script. And then 
I sent it back to them and said, this is what I want to do. This is the movie that I can make for this budget and I can make it watchable. It will be a PG-13 thriller for kids. It'll be fun. It'll be watchable. It'll be doable. They were like, it's great. Love it. Do it. So we they said, they said, it's great. Love it. Do it. Yep. Wow. So I was like, all right, great. So then we shot it in 12 days. You'll appreciate this. We had two days go over eight hours. I shot every day in eight hours. We used basically natural light for every scene. We shot it on the red. We used, we used beautiful high speed lenses. We had Jason London in it. We had, um, what the fuck, uh, Robert Lasardo was in it, who's great. And we shot this movie and I made this really cool PG-13 kids like thriller a la similar to like Stranger Things, but way less because of the budget. But then the producers put out there that it was a $400,000 budget because of the names that were in it. And then the producer producers that were in charge apparently never approved the script that I wrote and never approved like any of the other stuff. So then it got re- so then they got it back and they were like, what the fuck is this? Where's all the gore? Where's all the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I can't shoot that stuff on that budget. Like I need a budget to have that stuff added. Like they're like, I can't just, who was making the decision just to give you the green light? You know? So we did all this stuff, made this movie and it came out really good. Actually, we did a, we did a private screening of it for all the people that were in it and we had fun with it. And then you whisper in my ear and then I promise not to <laughs> reveal. You already know. I have no idea who the fuck you're doing. Um, I'll tell you later. Just, okay. Just mouth it. <laughs> no. God damn it. Um, no idea you're talking about. No, because I like I don't think he's a bad person in general. I just think that sometimes there's just miscommunications that happen. No, no fucking idea. Um, but you've known him as long as I have. Um, so there's. So then the producers got it back. So then they went out and they shot all this new material. Now that's all you're thinking about. They went out and they shot all this new material. And added it to the movie. So now it's this weird, convoluted... Uh, another movie that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make uh, any it's sense. Worst. It's the fucking worst. No sense at all. I feel bad for the actors. Now they gotta like look at that and just be like, what? Yep. The actors got fucked because it's just not part of what they made. But they saw the version that I made. And there were actors that reached out to me that were like, hey, can I get the original version? I'm like, I don't have it. Like, I wish I could get it to you, but I don't. it's not mine. Like, I don't own it. Like, I agreed to do this for them, and, like, I did what I could do, and I allowed them to go run off and do whatever they want to it because I was paid to do a job. And I used that money to make the movie, but we were still... So much. What what do you... Right. There's only so much you can do based on the money that you have, right? You can only build the house you're going to build with the money. Like, if you want to build a mansion, but you're only given cardboard, good luck. And that's kind of... The same analogy. You know, right? It's a terrible. It's a ther- It's a really, as an actor especially, it's a terrible thing to experience all this post. Mm-hmm. It's also a really, a different reason and a better reason why actors say they don't watch the things that they do, because if you do a project and you have an idea about a project, then you see it and it, it is nothing how you filmed it, nothing how you acted it. No, it, it doesn't even resemble the script that you read. It will tear you apart and make you not want to do this anymore. Because you don't know what, because you're you're going into a really amazing prospect. You have high hopes. My character is great. Look at all these monologues that I have. And look at this amazing character development that I have in relationships with the other characters. Oh, look at this thread of a story. And then you do it. You put all of your goddamn effort into it for no money at all. But it's okay because it's art and you love what you do and you know you're fucking good at it. And you're going to make this movie better for it. And it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. And then you see it, or not, because it never gets made, but then you see it, even worse, you see it, and it is just a pile of garbage. It makes you want to die. Yeah. It really does. I think that for me, are we getting too depressing for this? No, I think for me, it's relative, though. Making movies is great. Still make movies. Our our relationship is is a testament to how I make movies. Yeah. Right? It's... My movie again. I don't claim that my movies are Oscar worthy. I don't think th- I think they're great for what they are for the budgets that I had. I think they were a lot of fun to make, and I enjoyed making movies in the process of making movies with the people I like making them with. 
which is why when you come to one of my sets, it's typically a large majority of the people are people that worked on the last one. Yeah. It, I like to work with the same people because I enjoy them and I enjoy their work and trust. I enjoy doing what they're doing. And trust. I, even, I think I even called you on the last one to see, to see if you wanted to be in it and you weren't available. It was two summers ago and I was like, yo, are you available for this? And I think you was the villain, the pregnant? Because that sucked. No, I don't think it was. There was no pregnancy in this one. Then no. No, I don't know. But I, you, were, you weren't available. I think you were doing something. And you were like, man, I wish I could. I can't. I'm not available. And I was like, very cool. I think you were in a play or something. Um, because it was such short notice. Like, it, it all happened. You know me. Like, it all happens very quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, all of a sudden, there's a script, and then there's a there's a plan, and then there's a we're into production, and we're done. And then <laughs> three months later, there's a finished movie. But that's what you get with a short budget. That's how fast it, it needs to be made. If you do it right. The, decisions the problem is, is that people don't do that. There are people with $25,000, $50,000, and they're like, we're going to shoot for 48 days, and we're going to shoot 18-hour days, and we're going to, and it's like, how are you going to get anybody to commit to that? You're not paying them. No, definitely not. So you're not, like, I try and pay the majority of the people that are on my set, unless they're learning or they don't have a skill set, but all the skilled workers on my set, including the actors, if I can pay them, I pay them something for their time. As much as I can pay them, I definitely pay for travel, I definitely pay for food, I definitely you, pay for lodging. You've taken care of your actors. Right? So it, it's, I take care of my crew and my actors because they're there doing their job and they're helping me get something that I want done. Right? So I would rather take care of them. And, and again, it's art. So we all want to be part of it to to do this thing together. Not like that, but you know just as well as anybody that's done this knows, like, have you ever seen people work for no money? Yeah, it's terrible. It's awful. It's dangerous. And risky. Yeah, danger. So, like, you bet your ass you're going to pay something. Right. Something. And not just fucking food, but something. No, something. So that you make a... It's so things at least move a little bit. It's quicker. one thing if you're, like, late... If you're, like, 18 to 23 and it's your first thing and you're asking your buddies to do it for free and you're going to provide lunch. Yeah. We all do those things when we're starting. Sure. You should. I I think you should want to do that. I don't, and honestly, I don't care if you're in your 40s and it's your first movie and you're asking friends and family to step up and step in and do something. If it's your first projects, by all means, get as many people as you can to volunteer, go out there and do it, have fun, create what you're going to create, but have expectations for what you're doing and be reasonable with the expectations of the people that are doing it. I hate when there are filmmakers that are like, oh yeah, it's normal to do an 18-hour day. No, it's not. It is not normal to do an 18-hour day. That's why SAG actors go into golden time. And that's why they get paid double the amount of money for the day per hour when they're in that golden time. Really not worth it for a... For, no, for it's, money. It, it's really not worth it at all in general to... But the work is going to suffer at a certain point. Yeah. Right? The work is going to suffer. If you work more than a 10-hour day... Dude, you are... Forget so it. Dude, but forget it. Job. Team, like your yeah. whole team's going to be tired. Your actors aren't going to be giving the same performance they did in the earlier part of the no. day. It's going to look weird. Your director's not going to be able to see everything that he needs to see or shoot. It's just a shot. No, it's, 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 it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. But again, if you're young and you're just starting out and you're having fun, by all means, do it. Go for it. Shoot it. Shoot all of it. Dude, when I was trying to get my reel together, I did fucking 83 projects in one year. 83 suited Amazing. projects. 83 projects. Now, 8% of them made I was, it. I was just going to say, how many of them did you actually get footage from? Eight. Yep. Seven, maybe. So less than 10%. Fine, but that's what I was, you know, like you put your mind to something and you just fucking go, 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 go. Period. Yeah. But that's, and this goes for any industry. Like we're talking a lot about film and, and we're talking a lot about acting because that's what you do and that's what, how we know each other. Yeah. But this goes across the board for any project you're doing or anything you're doing in life. You you have to find ways to develop skills to make more money, right? You have to find ways to, you know, I get into these conversations and we talked about a little bit earlier about living wage and yeah. what is, we have to define what living is and you have to define as an individual living is. For me, living means that you can, you have an apartment, you probably have a roommate or somebody living with you. You have a car, and it's not new. It's probably pretty used and hopefully runs pretty well, but plan on fixing it a lot. And you have food on your table at home. And that's pretty much living. Outside of that, they're, they're, everything else after that is fluff, Lush. right? Like, like, it's all luxury, like medical care, 
all that, like, yeah, what, do I wish that everybody had medical treatment? Do I wish that it was available for everybody? Do I think it should be available for everybody? Maybe. It should, probably. But we live in a capitalist society that dictates that we have to pay for everything that we want. And we've all agreed to those terms. Idiots. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, it's all like, it's, it's all perspective. Like, I think it's everyone's base responsibility for themselves to to sit down at home and like, financially plan your your right your life. But I've also looked at people where, you know, they're like, oh, I want more than minimum wage to do X, Y, or Z, or we'll offer them a job that has a skill set behind it, but we won't pay you $25 an hour because you don't have the skill yet. But we'll pay you $15 an hour, $16 an hour till you, til you get to that point. And they're like, well, I can go drive for Uber and make 20 bucks. Yes, you can, but it's a dead-end job. Yeah. You're you're getting the amount you're going to get forever. There there's no up. Like there you're not you can't get more Uber cars. Like that's not a thing. Just as like a perspective thing side note. $15 an hour is sometimes what the actors get paid at the Metropolitan Opera. Right. Shows. Isn't that fucking nuts? Do you know how many millions of dollars those productions cost? Do you know how many millions of dollars those singers are getting cost and the actors in there get $15 an hour. Yeah. It's nuts. All relative, but it's all relative. Sometimes are they right, and but what are they? What are those actors bringing to the table? Yeah, I mean, they're to just increase they're, their value. Whatever, they're just in and around. But in that facility, I mean, you don't do that. Come right. on, man. Come on. Not when the person next to you is making twenty thousand dollars a minute. You know, like you don't do, you don't do that. I mean, that's that. Those aren't the jobs that I take there, obviously. But then that also falls onto those people that are making twenty thousand dollars a minute, because. They have to respect the again. It's not a competition. It's about a community. And if you're making it's a theater, it's in a order house. for you to it's make, house with a in order for you to make twenty thousand dollars a minute, and that's obviously an exaggeration, but yeah, let's play with it. The idea that you're even, let's say, you make twenty thousand dollars a show, and somebody else is making two hundred dollars a show because they're getting fifteen bucks an hour, right? Like it, it becomes all becomes relative at a certain point, but. If you're the one making $20,000 a show, standing there on stage with somebody who's making $100 a show, that's on you as that person to be like, hey, maybe I'm taking too much. Because if those people aren't there, it's going to lessen my... No. No? What are you out of your... I mean, that's not that... I mean, shit, if someone's going to offer me $20,000 a night... Sure. Like, I'm taking it. But I'm not going to say to myself, oh, maybe I should take less so somebody else can more... Fuck that. It's not... That's not that person. But as... That's that's the general manager's job. Sure, but if the, but if you're demanding that amount of money to be in the show, then well, when you get to a point where you can make. But if you money. treat it like a community, rather than an individual sport, now it's yes, I do think that the producer should. But you also have to look at the books of the producer. You have sure. to look at the upkeep of the theater. You have to look at the electric bill of the theater. Sure. You have to look at all the people working concessions, all the people working the well, the seating, and all the stewards. You have to look at. To talk about the opera house as as like a as an example, it's a poor example because the opera house is a you know it's a rep it's 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 um there's different shows coming in every right. single month, constantly. So it's never at, like a so look at my it's never like the same family where you can make those demands. Sure, but let, let's look at it. Let's look at it from my business perspective, right? I could pay my employees minimum wage and hope that they want to stay, and take all the money to myself as the as the owner of the business. Or I can look at them and look at their skill set and say, okay, this is the value that I have in their skill set. This is what I'm going to pay them. And then I look at them when I'm looking to hire somebody else, I look at them and say, hey, look, here's the option. I can give you this much of a raise and expect you to do this much more work, which means you might have to work late and more hours. Or we can take that money and we can hire somebody else to take that workload off of you and help add to the business. And we have a full discussion about it and say, okay, what are the ups and downs and what are the pluses and minuses? But that's me treating it like a community and not a competition. Well, that's why you're a really good producer. But man, why don't you come, you want to come work for the Metropolitan Opera? Sure. Tell him to give me a call. Okay. I can help him organize it and fix it. I'm just going to trip Peter Yell. But I mean, just think of it this way. Like if you take somebody who's making $20,000 a show, right? And you give them $18,000 a show instead and then give everybody else behind them an extra 300 bucks a night. That makes a huge difference, oh, massive to the to everybody, including the person making twenty grand a show. They're not losing that much from eighteen to twenty. Is not a big change. 
It's impossible, but massive. They would never do anything like that. No, of course not. They would. They're corporate because it's not designed that way. No, but the <laughs> point okay. is, is those those are the ways that you start to create your business in a way that functions for everybody involved. Because you've been there for seventeen years, so I assume you're not one of the people getting fifteen bucks an hour anymore no. because you've been there long enough. It depends on the show, but but and, and again, you know. But that's relative to how long you've been there. It's relative to all these other 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 lots of pieces of place. What I will say is that you're just you're amazing because right. you're not selfish, and you're not a greedy, money grabbing bastard. I try not to. But the people, a lot of times, the people who are in charge of money are. And right, you being in charge of something, God, I mean, it would be goddamn magical. Because because you think about that and you care about that and you're not thinking about your own personal gain. Well, I'm thinking about the long-term success and my own personal gain. It is my own personal gain to have everybody Damn in the house. If everybody is that's in the business is excited to be there, comfortable, and happy with the, what's going on, then that creates an environment of quality work that just it fills everything. And then more people are going to come and more people are going to be involved in spending money here because of the quality that's coming out. And that's any business of any kind. You are literally what people hope to think about the people who are in charge of projects. And then they rudely figure out that it's not that way. You, I almost feel like that mentality doesn't, doesn't really exist. Well, I think it's funny that I don't get more work because... Most of the time, like that films we've talked about already, when I save them and I do all this stuff to help them get it done, they get mad because I'm not nice about it. I am very blunt and I'm very in your face about this is how it has to fucking go. This is what needs to be done. And if you don't like it, there's the door. I'll find somebody that understands what we're doing here. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder, like, is the quality of someone who gets more work or is getting paid in a higher in a higher amount someone that doesn't do what you're doing probably not and you know i would say i i agree with you and i would sacrifice that in order to feel better more fulfilled with myself and my work and what i do but it just makes you think like you know should i really start being more of an asshole because it seems like that's what's working and that changes the whole construct of what people go into business for and it makes terrible working environments and it makes um i think there's a relativity to the amount of asshole you have to be too, though, because you know me and you know from the beginning that I'm not, I'm very blunt and I'm, but I'm very honest. So some people take it the wrong way. Some people think that I'm being an asshole when I'm not, I'm just telling you the truth. And sometimes two different, I guess there's two different kinds of assholes. There's an asshole like that'll get things done and pay you. And then there's an asshole that won't tell you what to do and then not pay you. So which is the asshole really? Sure. Well, that you be, there's an asshole being a piece of shit. You making like. things happen in a, in an assertive way, and being loud, proud, and goddamn making people listen to you. I don't consider that being an ass. I consider that being, you know, a warrior for, for production and just getting things done in a in an in a in an efficient format. Versus somebody being a higher up on you, screwing you out of fifty thousand dollars. That person, the asshole. Right. It took no no part in getting any work yep. done, but took all the money. And this is, you know, this is the life that we live in. I mean, this is like uh, shit. But what are we going to do? We have to keep on scraping the glass. You know, I mean, I mean, this is just, you know, it's just kind of, we're kind of, a little bit, we're kind of repeating what we already know in society about how, like, America is, like, kind of, Terry Way. I mean, but I the, think gap, the gap between poor and rich, you know, that whole construct. You yeah. kind of put that into everything. That we're doing. But that's always been a thing. I know. Isn't at the it end tiring? Of the, but at the end of this day, I mean, you're you're somebody who's traveled. You're somebody that's seen I've most been, of the country and you've seen a lot of goddamn the world. world. The reality is, is I'd still rather wake up in America. Oh, hell yeah. Right? Like, that's the thing is, like, we have a lot of people that have never left their hometown being very loud and complaining about how terrible America is when the reality is I they have no idea what's out there, man. Right. They have no idea. Right. Right. It's crazy it's scary out there, man. And even in the even in the affluent, you know, countries, yeah. there's like there's the amount of corruption. But we have it great. Like we no one yeah. in America should be crying. 
at all. Yes, there's terrible things that have happened. There's well, I wouldn't go as far as say that nobody in America no, is crying. No, there's no, definitely no. people out there that deserve to cry. Like, can we stop talking? It's a relative. I don't want to fuck myself with a wall. Please don't put that in public. Tut. You don't edit this, right? We don't. All right, I apologize. There's plenty of people that deserve to to cry, and I'm sorry. But I'd still rather wake <laughs> up here than anywhere else. 100. Even on my worst day, I'd rather wake up here than somewhere else. And there's a lot of people out there that have shitty lives based on their choices or choices of their parents, and that sucks. Like, well, I'm not taking anything. The worst thing that's ever happened to you or me is the worst thing that's ever happened to you or me. And that's the same for everybody. You, you, It's all relative. My bad day is there's always going to be somebody out there that has a worse day than me. But I also worked very hard and made very conscious decisions to not have children, to not get married, to not put myself in a predicament where I had to worry about somebody else's well-being and safety until I took that on with my niece. I, I didn't, that was not something that I took on in my life. So I could go, you know, two days without being able to buy anything. I could eat scraps from the restaurant of shit that was dead in the window that was like, hey, nobody's eating this. It's been sitting here for a half hour. Just take this? Yeah, go. Right? Like, I've been in that life. You're disgusting. I know <laughs> touched it. It was just sitting there. But it's like, yeah, I've worked at a restaurant. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I know people that when they worked in a restaurant would take food off a table that was <laughs> and fucking eat it. I was never that guy. But I know people that have done it. It's yeah. fucking gross and weird, but cool to eat your own. But my point is, is that I, I set myself up so I was the only person I had to worry about. I was the only living being that I had to worry about. You know, I even waited years to get a dog because I knew that I would have to be the responsible for it living and surviving. You know, this is, this is a slight tragedy because in the business that we're in, I mean, the amount of effort it takes to, to come off of the ground just to be stable, fuck has time for, for a child or a dog. No. Or to think about anything else besides hustle. Yep. And that it's 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 a tragedy because and you know, I went through this. I mean, I mean like I went through this. We're we're about you know, you brought me onto this show. 